everyone and welcome to the Sing Anyway podcast. We have our first guest today, which is very exciting. We have Nicole Baker on today. Nicole Baker is a coach, podcaster, and international speaker who helps high achievers ditch perfectionism, cut the hustle, and start achieving goals with fun and fulfillment. Having grown up in the personal development world, she has been attending seminars and absorbing personal growth tools her whole life. Since starting her business, she has since helped thousands of perfectionists accomplish goals ranging from scaling to six figures, cutting their work time in half, starting and sticking to new habits, and hitting record-breaking revenue months. However, the biggest surprise to all the perfectionists she works with, a greater sense of peace, fun, fulfillment, and no perfectionism. Nicole has been featured in She Incorporated, Thrive Global, The Self-Helpless Podcast, and The Mighty. She is the CEO of Life Coach Baker and the host of the Life Coach Baker Podcast. So you may be wondering, how do Nicole and I know each other? Well, Nicole is a huge part of my journey as a business owner. We worked together for a few months back in May of 2022, uh, which feels like a very long time ago. Um, (laughs) Hi, Nicole. Thanks for coming. Oh, the second you asked me to be here, I was just like, yes, yes, 100%. Yes, absolutely. Like no question in my mind would make me not want to be here. Like I, I love your mission, what you do, how you show up to be a part of it is just like the best gift, best gift. Thank you. And we were talking before we started recording that this just feels like a really full circle moment for me because you were such an integral part of my journey in starting this business. Um, And I just couldn't think of a better person to have on for my first guest because I remember this time last year listening to your podcast and getting to know more about you and getting to know more about what you do. I didn't even know that you were a singer at that time and that you had a singing background. Um, So I'd love to kind of like, yeah, go back in time and hear about before we get to current life coach Baker, how you started actually with being a singer first. So if you want to just tell that journey, I'd love to hear it. Of course. So I like probably many people listening at a young age, I listened to, I, God, this is really going to show, show me. Um, I was in middle school and I'd heard of like musical theater. Like, you know, I think that you'd be living under a rock if you hadn't, especially like I enjoyed theater. I thought that it was fascinating. However, going back in time a little bit, I, in elementary school was, I I hate the word victim, but I'm going to use it here. The victim of severe bullying to the point of like being stuffed into bathrooms, being called names. I will never utter to another human living, breathing soul. And that caused me to really shut down, play small. Like I think back to my childhood and I think of this quiet, tiny, like, like, like physically just like trying to be as small as possible person. And In middle school, I was with a friend and she was like, you have to hear this song. You have to. And she just starts playing Define Gravity from Wicked. (laughs) And it gets to the end where like, you know, the the orchestra comes in and like, you know, when she's like rising up on the stage and I like, I'm literally experiencing it right here. And now like my whole body felt like my skin was electric. And I was like, this is notable. This is something that I... I am driven towards, I need to do. And so I started um, getting more into theater. I got into piano and voice lessons. I was doing piano for a while prior prior to that, but then I started getting into voice lessons and started, you know, doing high school theater. I rose to the um, 
president of the theater at my high school. And like, you know, I went to a school where people went to CCM, they went to Carnegie Mellon, they went to like all these like really, really top schools. And of course, because of that, I was like, well, I have to go to a top school. I'm also a very high achiever. <laughs> like I'm someone who's like, I don't have to be good. I have to be the best. Luckily I've had that perfectionistic mindset out of me, but like that was very prominent then. And so I ended up going to um, a school that I do consider one of the top in the nation. And my perfectionism was at a point that was, I didn't know it was perfectionism at the time, but it was at a point where it was so bad where I was having almost multiple times a week panic attacks. I was in a position where an eating disorder had taken over a lot of my life. I was so overwhelmed and afraid to fuck up. I hope cussing's okay on here because it will not be the first time. Like I was so afraid to fuck up where I wouldn't go practice because I knew I wouldn't be able to sing a trill on the first try. And I was, I was so afraid to not do it right. And as a result, by the way, I was also drinking myself basically to blackout every weekend to like numb that panic that was inside me. And as a result, I was sat down by my professor and said, basically like, because of what's going on with you, you are not going to be able to graduate. Like this degree that you have been preparing for for the past 10 years, say bye-bye. Like it's not going to happen unless you, he said it not much nicer, but I'm going to rephrase, get your shit together basically, <laughs> unless you start actually like treating yourself with love and respect and like, like you're actually meant to be here. So I called my dad, who is the original life coach Baker. He's worked for many, many, many of the top people in the personal development world. He's very good at his job. And I called him and thank God I had this resource because I basically said like, look, I've been learning this personal development mumbo jumbo my whole life, but I've never implemented it. And I need to now or else my dream's gone. And thank God he coached me. This is turning into a very long answer to your question, I'm realizing, but um, thank God he coached me and it, it you know, I'm going to skip over a year and a half, but I want to mention it was a year and a half of grueling, of horrifying internal work, of really looking at my life choices and saying, wow, that does not align with the person I want to be. It was looking at my perfectionism straight in the face. Again, I did not know it was perfection, perfectionism at the time, but I'll, I'll rephrase it. It was looking at my, I didn't believe I was enoughness, looking that straight in the face. And finally, it got to the point where, you know, graduation was around the corner. It was my very last jury that was going to be the make or break. And it was two weeks before graduation. <laughs> like, you can imagine my internal turmoil that was happening. And I went into my jury. I did the best I could in the moment. I came out. I'm shaking. I'm like sweating. My best friend is holding my hand. I'm like basically cutting off her circulation, like trying to, you know, get something out of me. And my voice teacher, same person who sat me down a year and a half prior came out and just like says, congratulations, you did it. And I leapt into his arms. <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally like, like I was a leech on his back immediately. Just like, like just hugged him and just broke down crying. And that was the day where I realized, oh my God, this this mega computer six inches between our ears is the most important thing in our entire life. And it wasn't that moment where I decided I wanted to do coaching, but there was definitely a voice inside me that said, you can do this for others. 
And it took me a while to find that voice, but it was there. Wow. This is why I wanted to have you on because I didn't know any of this. And I just, really? yeah, it's so, it's so powerful. And I, I, what I, what really struck me, I mean, everything you just said really hit me hard, but your voice teacher basically saying like, you have to love yourself and respect yourself enough. Um, and I think what perfectionism does is it, it really is what you said. It's thinking that you're not enough. Yeah. Um, and something that I try to remind myself, but especially other people is like you just being just having a body and being alive is already enough. Yeah. You don't need to accomplish anything for that to be true. Um, but especially in like the musical theater world, it's competitive and you're always trying to outbelt the next person or belt higher than so-and-so or be smaller and thinner than the other person next to you. And I, I, I want to know, like, what was, do you feel like the environment at your school was a safe and healthy place for you? Or do you feel like that contributed to some of the self-sabotaging behaviors that were happening for you? A hundred percent. I, I think that it was a hundred percent contributing. And the irony is now actually I'm very, I won't say very close, but I'm closer than I was then with the head of the program. I now come back and do a bunch of, you know, workshops on perfectionism and on high achieving and on, you know, being your quote unquote best self before you go into the audition room. And I don't mean best self, like outdoing everyone else. I mean, like best self as in like self-trust and assurance that you are meant to be there. Mm. And the irony is that he cares so deeply about this learning now. And um, I don't think it was as prominent when I was at school. There was definitely that high competitive nature. There was absolutely, oh my God, I like rolled my eyes thinking about it. And I like talk to a bunch of alumni now and we like all joke about it, um, you know, five years removed, but it was very much a who can be busier than who game. The busiest person is the most worthy person. And that is so toxic. Like, I mean, I would spend, you know, two hours at the gym and then I'd go to the practice rooms and do fucking nothing. But like, I'd go to the practice rooms, you know, just to say I've been there for three hours, you know? And like, there's so much of this, like what I do determines how worthy I am as a performer and how successful I am as a performer. And whether that was student created or whether that was faculty impacted. I'm not sure. It could have been definitely a bit of both. Um, I will say they've now removed this, thank God. But at the time we had weigh-ins at school. So every, it was every six weeks or so, we would literally hop on a scale and they would tell you like, okay, good job. Or okay. Like, I mean, luckily not in my case, because I was musical theater, but for some of the dancers, it was like, okay, your scholarship might be taken away. Like it was, it was so, I know, I know. How, like, how, is, how is that even legal though? Like, how is that legal? Fine print. And the, and it, again, it's all gone now. There was <laughs> enough of an uproar and the deans finally listened. And I'm so grateful. Um, Like literally the day I saw that, that Wayans were gone, I broke down in tears and just started sobbing to my, cause my fiance also went to the school and Brett just like held me. He was so happy too. Like, cause he was an acting major. He also had to do Wayans. Like, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. Cause like uh, it was whenever you did a, a dance class, you had to do weigh-ins and um, 
you know, him and I were both so overjoyed because one of the things that we want to do is in our, you know, building of our careers and building of our financial futures, we want to give back to that school, but we want to give back with stipulations. <laughs> and, you know, like um, the, one of the stipulations was, you know, weigh-ins have to go. But now that stipulation's gone because it's already gone and I'm very grateful. But, um, you know, stuff like that where it was just like, there, there was constantly this, there's this measurement that if you hit it, congratulations, you're enough. And if you don't hit it, congratulations, you suck. Like, and again, I, I don't know if it was the student led, if it was faculty led, if it was a mix of both. I really do think it was a mix of both. That's what my gut's telling me. Um, but the thing that baffles me is I've, you know, I've talked to, I've coached a lot of people who have graduated from the school in my year, a few years lower, a few years higher. And every single person has the same perfectionist mindset. They have their own problems, but all the same patterns. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's an accident. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, God, I just, I'm like taking all that stuff in about the, mm -hmm. the weigh-ins. Like I, that like, I, I knew that was a thing, but it just really, it's so, I think that over anything else is probably the most harmful thing I've ever heard. Um, that because that makes you scared of your own body, yeah, and distrustful of your own body and ignoring your hunger cues, and of course you develop an eating disorder from that. How could you not? <laughs> Every single person at the school. I mean, like obviously, I won't, I won't say black and white. <laughs> most of the people at that school had some form of disordered eating pattern, myself mm -hmm. included. And I will say this, because this is like kind of the like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I could step into my power this way. Um, my senior year, so this is after I've been coaching with my dad for about six months. My senior year, I go into one of my weigh-ins and I'm starting to get into like higher dance levels and I'm loving dancing. I think it's so fun. And um, as I'm getting into higher dancing levels, you know, like the weigh-ins become more prominent and they become more important and whatever. And I hop on, you know, hop into the room one time. Luckily, it's like kind of sectioned off. This is like one of the things they did, right? It's sectioned off. No one sees you. Like, and I, I appreciated that. And finally, I looked at the person who was facilitating it. And I said, is it okay if I don't know the number? And she goes, of course. Of course, I won't tell you. You just step up and look up. Mm -hmm. And I go, that's an option? Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> that's okay? <laughs> like, and so I start spreading this news like wildfire. <laughs> I'm like, you can tell them that you don't want to hop on. And a few people did it. And a few people were too scared and that's okay. They hadn't stepped into that power yet. But like, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, I can be my own advocate. I can stand up and ask for what I need. And especially as, you know, I don't want to make this like a, a male, female thing, but especially as women, you know, we are kind of taught like to be smaller, to be more, um, uh, adaptive because that makes people comfortable. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I'm allowed to use my voice in a way that protects me in a way that makes me feel better. I will say there is a direct correlation to when I asked that question and when my eating disorder started going away, a mm. direct correlation. And I, again, I don't think that was an accident. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I actually had a similar experience at the doctor's office. So mm. I found out, I, again, didn't realize I could ask to not be weighed. I just assumed that you had to be weighed when you go to the doctor, that it was just like part of the thing. And it's scary every time I do it, but I'm like, I would rather not be weighed today if that's okay. And they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. And I was yeah. like, this, like it's, 
because I also have a history of like disordered eating patterns and stuff like that. And so for me to just not know what that number is, like you said, it is the most beneficial thing because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the number is. And you like, for me personally, I used to obsess, like if I went to the doctor and I accidentally saw the number when I would get weighed, I, it would be like obsessive thinking. I would just be like, you know, I would keep repeating the number in my head over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And And then like, like, I don't know if you had a similar thing, but when I was like at school and I had that same exact pattern, like I would obsess and obsess and obsess. Like I came to this school as an 18 year old at this number and now I'm 21 and I'm this number. The idea that I'm growing hips never really occurred to me, but like, you know, I'm growing like into a woman's body, but like I was so obsessed with like, how can I get lower? How can I get lower? And like, there was there, it was insane. Like right after weigh-ins, right before, right, excuse me, right before weigh-ins and right after weigh-ins, the gym, you were lucky to grab a treadmill. Like you were lucky to get in there because like everyone was just, obs- again, same thing, obsessed. Like, oh my gosh, this number said this. So I have to go hop on the treadmill. And of course that all or nothing mindset, this is also really linked to perfectionism. Like it's that, okay, now I have to go flooring it on the gas I cannot eat any foods that are quote unquote bad, which I totally don't agree with at all anymore. Like you can only work out for four hours a day. Like there's just like this extremism with it. Right. And now this is actually a real time example. So I'm, I have fallen, fallen. Wow. I've fallen in love with running. This is something that, um, post-graduation has just like become something I really enjoy doing. And, um, I'm right now training for a 15 K and this past week I started getting like a mild foot injury. I'm not going to call it a full injury. Cause it's just like the beginning of it, but I knew what was happening. Cause I've seen a lot of people have it. And I was like, Whoa, I need to stop. Okay. I need to catch this. And this old voice in my head came up that said, well, your training's going to be off now. You know, you have to like, you have to do that. You have to do that. You have to do all these different things. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, what if I just let my foot fucking rest? I'm like, what if I iced it? What if I, you know, kept on the bike because that's working similar muscles. And actually it was a harder workout than a six mile run this morning, if I'm being totally honest, but like, you know, I, I like, what if I do stretching? What if I, you know, do the things that my body actually needs? It's been less than four days since this came about. It's gone already, but I'm not hopping on the treadmill yet. I'm not going into my runs yet. Like, because I know that old me would have been like, okay, great. Seven miles. Let's go. Like, that's just not a bad, that's just not a good way of thinking now for me. Now it's like, okay, you know, like, let me continue on this pattern. Cause I said, I was going to do this for a week to really nip this in the butt. And then, you know, we'll gradually get back in it. And that would have never been a mindset I could have had six, seven years ago. Yeah. Oh, those moments are so nice to realize like, oh my gosh, old me would have done this totally differently. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. It's really nice. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you, because I've always been curious about this. Like, when did you like, this is going to be kind of a weird question, but when did you discover like that perfectionism like was a word and what it meant? And when did you discover like, oh, I think that's me. (laughs) It wasn't until I was a year and a half into coaching, if I'm being honest. (laughs) And I wasn't coaching perfectionists at the time. Mm -hmm. I was coaching musical theater and creative artists and performers. And 
I was a brand new baby entrepreneur. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like, I mean, if I could go back and talk to that person, wow, we'd be two different people. But like, I, I was struggling to figure out who do I want to work with? Cause I loved creative artists, but I noticed that there was a specific type of thought pattern that intrigued me more than anything. And that that was not limited to creatives that was everywhere. And I was working with a coach at the time and she goes, oh, you mean perfectionism? And I go, come again, like, <laughs> what's that? And she goes, perfectionism. And me being this like, you know, internal Ravenclaw that I am, I'm a Gryffindor, but it's, it runs, I'm a Ravenclaw moon, if you will. But like that, the, my immediate thought was like, okay, research, like, let me figure out like, what does this look like? So I started diving into like, you know, Bernie Brown, the gifts of imperfection, um, uh, how to stop being a perfectionist, like all these different like books, TED Talks, podcasts, everything on the under the sun that had the word perfectionism in it. And I realized, holy shit, this has been what's driven my whole life. This was what in when I was stuffed in bathrooms by bullies, I realized if I'm not perfect, if I'm not who everyone else needs me to be, I will get hurt. And therefore I cannot be anything but perfect. And like that thought pattern has driven, you know, 24 years of my life, not that long, 20 years of my life. And then I started realizing, oh my God, that is, that's it. That was it. So it was a few months after that realization that I actually pivoted into perfectionism coaching. And since then, it's just been this thing I'm obsessed with. I'm, I love learning about it. And it comes in so many different forms, which is also what I really like. You know, like people hear the word perfectionism and they often think like, okay, the super type A, you know, immaculate dresser, their home is flawless. Like they have spreadsheets galore. And that is so not true. Absolutely not true. That was my understanding of it. I had no idea. Absolutely. It's, it's all of ours because, you know, we hear that. We see it on TV and in the media. But perfectionism is literally this way of thinking that if I'm not perfect, I'm not enough. If we're getting down to like the nitty gritty of it, that is like point blank perfectionism that can show up in high um, high achievers. That can show up in people who have procrastinating habitual pro or, uh, patterns like that can show up in entrepreneurs, in dog. I mean, like literally anyone under the sun, it can show up. And I think the fact that we don't know that is what's hurting us from being able to shape those patterns because now we've just accepted them as capital T truths. Mm -hmm. And that's my mission is to change that so that people know that that's not something you have to live with. Yeah. Oh, and I think too, like that I still... I, I feel like I've grown so much from like, I've gotten rid of my perfectionism in a lot of ways in my like normal day to day life. But when I go to mm -hmm. sing, it comes right back up again. And I I keep, I have this quote up <laughs> on near my piano. That's, uh, I'm probably gonna end up misquoting it. But it's from uh, the artist way by Julia Cameron. And I think it's like, I will treat myself like a precious object or no, treating myself like a precious object makes me strong. So instead of just being like so shitty and fucking mean to myself in my head, I'm going to treat myself like this beautiful diamond that I can't be mean to and I can't mishandle because it will break. And that thing, treating myself with, I like to say pampered behaviors, is going to actually make me strong instead of making me yes. weak. Because the thought pattern I've been having is like, well, if I'm not like so fucking hard on myself, how am I going to get better? That right there. I want to, <laughs> I want to unpack this right here because this is so, I'm, one of the things that 
I, I don't use this word lightly. I have been obsessed with lately. Like, I mean, it like it is constantly on my mind. It is filling my journals, filling the podcast. Like, is this idea that what is what is the line between being that high achiever, between being someone who is striving and driven and wanting to grow and learn every day, and also this balance of not coming at it from a self-loathing, self-hatred place. So many high achievers hate themselves into the next level. They say, well, I'm not there yet. So I have to keep pushing, keep driving. Like it happens all the time. And performers are some of the biggest culprits of this. But on the flip side, what's the opposite of self-hatred, self-loathing? It is self-acceptance, self-love, which a lot of people view as complacency, as media mediocrity. And like, yeah, uh huh. <laughs> And again, I say this has been plaguing my thoughts and it's like, okay, what is the line between being a high achiever and being someone who absolutely loves and adores themselves? And like, how do we find it? How do we find that balance? And it's there. It's prominent. It is. And I, I will say like, it's not been until the past like few months that I feel like I've really cracked this code. And, you know, I'm in a phase of life where right now it feels like it's cracked. I guarantee you I'm going to hit a new level and it's all going to go to shit. But like... <laughs> Right now, I feel like I'm in a place where like, I have never loved myself more. My day-to-day -day looks exactly what I've been dreaming it. My, you know, I'm getting married in June to the love of my life. Who's someone who like sends me butterflies every single day. And I'm just like, wow, life gets to be this good. And a few years ago, I would have looked at this and been like, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? You know, like you remember those goals you have, you're still not there yet. I would have looked at like 10% of things that aren't right in my life and fixated on them. And, and as a result, beat myself up. Whereas right now I'm like, oh my God, life gets to be this good. This is so amazing. And I'm not complacent. I'm still driving my ass every day, but it's not from a place of hatred or push. It's from a, how can I work smarter, not harder? How can I enjoy this process? Can I please repeat that? How can I enjoy this process is a question that has changed my life. And that is how I drive myself every day. And I don't think that that's, you know, uh, I don't think that that's something people automatically think of because we've sucked the fun out of life by being these florid people. Yeah. I'd love oh. to hear your thoughts. I mean, I just want to say like your life got that good because you decided that you were worth it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's it. Like that's the thesis statement. Yeah. Like you have to decide that you are worthy enough to have the yeah. life that you want to have. And that's really, really hard to do. Um, but yeah, I love that question. Like, how can I make this enjoyable? I think that's something I'm returning to as well. Um, because like, I don't want to have like practice sessions where I end up like crying all the time. Like there has to be a different way. Right. And, um, for me, it's been actually warming up before I sing. I know that sounds so stupid and simple, but like, I would go into the practice room, practice room. I would go into my house in my corner where I practice and, uh, <laughs> You know, when I would feel that like motivation come, I'm like, all right, well, this motivation is probably going to leave in like five minutes. So I'm just going to go sing right away because if I warm up first, then my motivation is going to be lost. So now I don't warm up. I go sing unwarmed up and then I get frustrated in about five minutes because my voice isn't working the way I want it to. Yeah. And it's the cycle that keeps happening. <laughs> and this happens time and time again. And I think it's a lot of reasons why people are afraid and put off practicing because they feel like. A, they can't do it on the first try perfectly. 
And B, I think that there's this idea that like, okay, I have to fit like four hours of practicing into 15 minutes. Like we're always thinking of like, okay, what else do I need to do? What else do I need to do? Instead of just carving out time for the things that are actually flipping important to us. And I think by like giving yourself, you know, like, okay, I'm going to make sure I have enough time to warm up. It will not only make the process more enjoyable, but also when we do the like nitty gritty work at the beginning, we get this hit of like, oh, go me, look at me go, look at me doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, quote unquote. And that is actually a huge confidence booster. It's a huge motivational booster, which then release, if we're getting really neurosciencey, it releases this neurotransmitter called dopamine in our brain. Dopamine is a great neurotransmitter for happiness and motivation. And as a result, we start craving it more and more and more, and it becomes a habitual way of thinking because of that neurotransmitter releasing. Again, putting neuroscience aside now, but like that way of thinking right there, so many people aren't doing it because they're quote unquote too busy or because quote unquote, they don't have the time or, you know, like, oh my gosh, I have to fit as many things as I can into this like 15 minute session. And it's like, what's the rush? <laughs> Take your fucking time. It's it like I'm literally, <laughs> if I could, if I could write five Ted talks, this would be one of them. Take your fucking time. What is the rush? We are so young. We have so much of life ahead of us. And I, I, I know you've probably heard this um, analogy 45,000 times, but like, if I'm trying to go after 45 goals at the same time, I will go after no, none of them. If I'm in a field of 40 cats and I'm trying to herd all 40 of those cats, I know you knew this is coming. Like if I'm trying to herd all 40 of these cats, but these cats are on some like hyperactive hulked out catnip and they're trying to like, you know, scratch and bite me. I am not going to herd all 40 of those cats. That is how we are with our goals right now. I have 40 things on my to-do list and I need to do them all now. Then we suddenly get this frantic energy. That's where the cats hulked out catnip, scratch, do, 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 do. And then we get so overwhelmed that our brain hits the fight, flight, freeze button in our brain and we will literally freeze. We'll say, TikTok sounds fun. Let me scroll through that for two hours because that feels safe. And so instead, it's really this act of saying, okay, 40 cats, hello. I'm going to fixate on one and say, you, sir, I'm going to herd you first, love you, put you somewhere safe, and then move on to the next one. And actually, that's the way to hurt all 40 of those cats. But people feel like they have to do all these things all at once because we're running out of time, because they're falling behind, so on and so forth. And as a result, they end up doing none of them. And if I can impart anything to you listening, start enjoying the process of taking your fucking time because you'll go things faster. There's a great Navy SEAL quote of all things that says, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm. slow is smooth smooth is fast and my fiance Brett and I now like live by that it's like slow is smooth smooth is fast and as a result we're not only accomplishing goals quicker but we're accomplishing things in our day faster we have more free time to spend together our wedding we were talking about this off air is not stressful because of this because of this right here I'm three months away from getting married and I'm cool as a cucumber right now there is nothing that I'm stressed out about and yeah. so like, I say that like I didn't have a panic attack in, or not a panic attack, that's a little dramatic. I say that like I didn't break down to my sister on the phone in Michael's two days ago, but that's over cricket paper. <laughs> that's a whole different story. <laughs> but that aside, it's like, you know, you're you're allowed to take your time with things. I think we've forgotten that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in case you guys didn't hear, take your fucking time. There is no rush. I'm just going to repeat it again because I think 
I think I need to internalize that. <laughs> well, you're out of sight, out of mind, right? Put this on a sticky note, put it where you practice. Put it where you, you know, work during the day. Put it where you brush your teeth at night. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Take your fucking time. Whatever has resonated, whatever has resonated with you, put that somewhere where it will be in your face. And I guarantee you over time, your brain will start to change the makeup because you're starting to notice different things as a result. Mm -hmm. I won't get into the neuroscience of that. I'll spare you all. (laughs) No, I love the neuroscience. I would actually love to know, because I I meant to ask this earlier, but you know, we always get chatting, which is great. Um, I want to know, like, how did you, when you graduated, like, what was that like, number one? And then how did you decide to make the career shift to doing what you do now? So I graduated and I moved to Chicago and I started doing the actor thing there. And I will say, so I was non, non-ec. Yes. I'm so, I'm so removed from the terminology. I'm having to remember. So I was non-equity and, you know, I'd go to these like open auditions and I'd wait around for 10 hours and I would never get seen. And then we get so frustrated. And I was on the phone with my dad one day because he just like continued coaching me. Like I would literally call and be like, he'd be like, which one do you need? And I'd be like, I need coach Baker. <laughs> like, Or which one do you need? I need dad. And you can like hear his voice shift in real time as to like, which, which role to fill. And I love it. I love this man. He's, he's been such a huge part of my life, but, um, I, I started getting frustrated because I was never getting seen. And my dad asked like, well, of your category, who are the people who are getting seen? And I was like, well, the people who get there, the ass crack of dawn, you know? And he goes, great. You know what to do then. And I go, okay. I didn't think about that as an option. Waking up at 4.30 and going and sitting outside in Chicago in March for three hours. Like I didn't just think about that because that idea sounded so painful to me, right? But then I was like, wait, no, this is my goal. I got back into my why. Like, why is this so important to me? And I said, this is it. This is why it's important to me. So I started doing that. I started getting up super early, which meant I would have to go to bed super early. I was working as a bartender. I would have to say no to night shifts the day before auditions. I do lunch shifts and, you know, that meant taking a pay cut, but it was worth it to me. And as a result, I started going to these earlier auditions and I got into an audition for Fun Home with um a theater i loved and respected and i ended up getting cast as medium allison which in real time i was also realizing that i was bisexual (laughs) and i was like this is timely (laughs) like wait can i interrupt you for a second please does that mean you got to sing um telephone wire no so that was older Allison I know I love that song though but but I got to sit on stage and like listen to her belt it out and just like absorb it that was like I'm getting chills just thinking about it that was just like such a beautiful moment you got to sing the better song um changing my major what am I saying my major that was mine and it was lovely it was delightful it was a experience that it was my first lead out of college it was one of those moments where I was like oh my god yes I finally did it I finally made it quote unquote And opening weekend, there was also a seminar in Chicago. And I'm very fortunate that my parents knew the guy who was running the seminar. I'm talking like, you know, an 8,000 person seminar. Like it was in a stadium. This thing was huge. And um, I'm very, very fortunate that they were able to get Brett and I tickets. And I was like, shit, okay, that's the same weekend as Fun Home opening. Like, okay, I'm gonna have to go back and forth. That's not a problem. This seminar required us to do a lot of screaming and jumping up and down and, you know, all that stuff. So I was like, I can't make any noise. I'll just like, you know, make the the physical reaction of it. And opening night, I shit you not, opening night, I was at that seminar early that day. 
And the person who's leading it takes us through an exercise. And it was all about career and making an impact. And it was like, okay, you know, five years from now, where do you see yourself? And I was like, okay, well, I'm an actor. I'm being called into auditions. I'm probably equity at this point. You know, and it sounded like that. I was so blase about it. It was so like, I guess, you know. And something in me was like, this isn't what you're meant to do. This isn't it. And he he changed the question. He was like, now fully step into it, fully see yourself immersed in this world. And that image, like if you can call it that, wiped away and in flooded this vision of me coaching, speaking, podcasting, writing books, impacting others, getting these DMs of people being like, oh my God, you've changed my life, da, 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 da. And I instantly bawled. <laughs> like, like the tear ducts of Niagara Falls opened and I just started like uncontrollably sobbing because it felt like my whole body had been waiting for this moment. And I turned to Brett and he sees me and he's just like, oh my God, the love of my life just had an amazing moment. What happened? Like, you know, like, let's talk about it. And I tell him, I was like, I can't act anymore. I have to be a coach. And he goes, okay. And just like, like, just, okay, that sounds great, honey. Like whatever you do, like, that sounds wonderful. And then I looked at him and I was like, I have to go to fun home. <laughs> like, I have to go to fun home tonight. And it wasn't long after that, that I, you know, left, I packed my bags. I got in the car. I, I headed to opening night, my eyes still puffy and red. I'm like staring at myself in the mirror being like, this isn't right. Like I'm not meant to be here. And so I told myself like, okay, this is your last hurrah, Nicole make the most of it. Like, let's enjoy the crap out of it. So that night changing my major was like a whole out of body experience for me. It's just like totally, it's transformative. And right after that, I started researching, how do you start a business? I started researching, you know, um, what degrees or what things do I need? And I started diving into neuro-linguistic programming, getting my certificate and that, like, you know, it was like overnight, everything changed. And January, 2020, 2019, 2019, there we go. Um, was the day Life Coach Baker begun. Holy shit. Wow. I don't have normal pivots, apparently. I'm realizing I just have really like boom in your face ones. And that's it for this week. Join us next week for part two, where Nicole talks more about pivoting careers into life coaching. When I was in comfort zone, Nicole, it was like, what are you doing? Like, you know how to be an actor. When I got into higher self thinking, Nicole, everything in me was like, this is what was meant to happen. And she discusses how our media consumption may be contributing to our perfectionism. Thanks for listening.